everybody, and welcome to the Medivac Podcast. My name is Christian Myers. I'm your host for today, joined by my other host. Hello. David Reed. Thank you guys for joining us. Before we get started, if you get something out of today's episode, please share it with a friend or family member. As usual. Yeah, absolutely. Every time. Comment, engage, do all that stuff. You have to, or else we'll come after you. Yeah. He will. I, will. I won't. Not anymore. I'm retired. Yeah, I'm, I'm retired now. <laughs> Who's our guest today? Dexter Pitts is our guest today. Dexter was in the 10th Mountain Division in the Army, got injured in Iraq, medically retired, yes, and now he serves as a police officer in Louisville? Louisville. L- 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 hey. Louisville. <laughs> Louisville. I'll let him say it. Kentucky. Louisville yeah. PD, yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> Welcome, so, Dexter. Uh, Welcome. Thanks for having me, fellas. Yeah, thanks I appreciate for coming it, on. Man. Going from military service to first responder service. Well, I was a janitor in between, though, but yes. Were you? Excuse me, environmental management specialist. Yeah. Uh, Custodial yes. technician. That reminds yes. me of the time, my Very first special. job, I worked at a pizza place. I called myself a pizza developer. A pizza <laughs> Or Subway, the uh, sandwich artist. Yeah, a sandwich artist. <laughs> a sa- an artist, yeah. Something like that. We got to make sure we feel good at the end of the day, right? You know, speaking of jan- uh, janitor stories, my first experience, like, in the Army in general, and it's a basic training story, but I was so excited to be in the service. And, you know, at the end of the class, they come up to me and they're like, or they come up to the class and they say, who can drive stick? And I was like, oh, I can drive stick. I was like, I thought I was going to drive a fucking tank. They hand me a broomstick and they say, well, it's time to clean up. <laughs> drive this one. And I was like, duped. I've been duped. <laughs> what a great resume builder. <laughs> They so let that out of the uh, commercials, the Army of One commercials back in the day. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's awesome to have you on the show today. Uh, you know, we always like to begin by saying, you know, what motivated you? What got you inspired to join the service in general? Man, like everybody else from my generation, the uh, whole 9-11 thing that mm-hmm. happened where yeah. uh, some people did some things, as, as some people said. Uh, Terrorizing. Yeah. <laughs> some people did some things. Some people did some things. Yeah. Yes. So, man, just like everybody else, uh, you know, I saw that happen. And so I grew up in the military. I was born in Fort Knox. My father was a tank mechanic, and okay. I had no aspirations to join the military because mm. growing up, you know, moving around the country, always losing friends, moving. Yeah. I was like, I'm not moving. So uh, 9-11 happens. I decide, you know, I'm going to join the Army. But and I had how no old were you at the time? Oh, man, I was like, I think I was 16. Okay. okay. I think I can always old get enough confused. to just really be heated by Oh, that, yeah. Oh, yeah. I knew, I knew things were going down, you know, but I didn't know how I wanted to serve, and it was almost a perfect— segue into me getting to military because right after 9-11 Black Hawk Down came out and I remember oh, yeah. in the movie theater I was like oh this is this is it yeah. I want to be a ranger man <laughs> yeah I want to be a ranger kick doors oh, I want to yeah, do all dude. the cool stuff man and I was I was all in and so I joined the delayed entry program I had to wait till I was 18 because I got held back a year in third grade well, and how memories. does that happen wait a minute moving does- around all the time uh, and they and I was back? slightly retarded. Still uh, That explains it. <laughs> <laughs> Short but shorty, man. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Well, so, like, what do you have to do in third grade? You don't have to do much. You know, paint, finger painting. Yeah. It's cursive. Probably. Dude, I try to help yeah. my daughter with her third Obviously, grade homework. And, you know, it's, uh, I'm reminded of how not smart I am. So, I'm the guy, man, that I, they had to give me points on my ASVAB. <laughs> they just dished them out. Yeah. They're like, yeah, but well, thank God we were going to war. Yeah. If you complete this questionnaire, we'll give you three points. Yeah. <laughs> That'll give you infantry. Literally, yeah. literally that was all I wanted. And, and so I remember well, going nice, to the recruiter's so. office. I was only be a ranger. He was like, not with this score, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but lucky for me, I was an ROTC. And, and so with the war kicking off, they was like, ah, don't worry about that. And I remember, so I was like, he's like, you can go to ranger school later. I was yeah. like, sounds like a bet. Duped, <laughs> as usual. You yeah. know, that happens to everyone, man. They're but like, they promised. <laughs> you promised. My recruiter promised. No, excuse Sergeant First Class Bennett. I ain't forgot. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> hopefully he's watching this right I now. I doubt it. I got your number. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you pass the ASVAB. Yeah. With pass. Pass. Yeah. With an infantry slot, hoping for ranger school. 11 next ray yep. And they gave me my uh, list of options. And I was like, hey, who's going to fight first? He was like, oh, you definitely want to go to Fort Drum. Yeah. You want to be with the 10th Mountain, you know, the most deployed unit in the military. Yeah. So like, man, no question. Sign me up, ship out August 5th, 2003. And I struggled my way through boot camp. And the best part of boot camp was, so when I was going, all my dad's friends were like, the most important part of boot camp, blend in, be the great man. Yeah. Don't stand out, don't finish first, don't finish last. And so when I get to boot camp and I'm standing online, I'm looking around, I'm like, 
Ah, uh, dog, I'm fat, and I'm like one of the only three black guys. <laughs> so they had me pegged from the get-go. Yeah. There was, there was no blending in. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and, and two, you got to get shit all the time. Oh, right? yeah. Oh, uh, one of my first, uh, one of my uh, drill sergeants, so he was from Louisville, tall, skinny black guy. And he called me Baloo from the the Jungle Book, the Bear. Oh. So it would be sounds wrong. <laughs> it's black on black. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anytime I would come in, he would like. Anytime I come in the room, room private Baloo, you stand up, you start singing the Bear Necessities. <laughs> so anytime uh. he would come in, you know, everybody stepped, you know, parade rest, and and I would go to attention. It's just the Bear Necessities, the <laughs> <so> simple. <laughs> Every time. Yeah, good job blending in, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it didn't work out Did for me too work. good, man. Doesn't work you know? out. And, uh, and I said, I wanted to be a ranger. And I remember, so they needed, they were in real good need of rangers back in 03 mm-hmm. with everything kicking off. And I had the opportunity to go to ranger school, but also I had the love of my life back at home. Oh, so, and it's like, oh, yeah, let's go get married. Drill Sergeant, I remember Drill Sergeant was like, dude, get married later. You're yeah. only going to have this one shot. Yeah. And so one shot. One, you only got one, <laughs> one shot. shot. This, is your blow. this opportunity comes once in a yeah. I'm gonna get y'all demonetized. Let yeah. me stop. <laughs> the copyright infringement. Oh, no. Yeah. That seems to be like, you know, that there's there's two routes to that. You know, relationships and military. It's a tough road to navigate. It is, man. But you know, when you're 19, you think you're gonna be together forever. So yeah, I'll yeah. go and I'll pass up the chance to go to Ranger School. And then I end up in a Fort Drum, New York. Uh, 10th Mountain Division, 2nd Brigade, Alpha Company, 214 Infantry. And for me, that was good enough of being a ranger because I remember learning that when the rangers went down, uh, well, everything went down to Mogadishu in 93 in October, mm. that Alpha Company 214 was the company that led the charge to go in and get help get the rangers out. Mm. So for me, that was a close second win, second place. So that worked for me. I was excited about it. Yeah. You yeah. Know, there was a couple guys in our uh, my company that were privates when it happened. And oh, then you know, they were telling us stories of the day. And I was just like, man, to be amongst these guys is like absolutely incredible. Yeah. And then they, uh, as soon as I got there, they saw how big I was. Like, oh, you're the assistant gunner. Here you go. Uh, <laughs> all the heavy stuff. All yeah. the heavy stuff, All the man. ammo and shit. Oh, yeah. man. I couldn't run to save my life. Still can't run. So if you commit a crime in Louisville, you see me coming after you, can assure, you can assure you're going to be safe. I mean, safe. how far do the <laughs> tasers reach? Because that's... 25 the, feet. That's pretty good. Yeah. You know? That's not... I don't need. I don't need tasers. You man. should. You know. I mean, you <laughs> I gotta, don't need tasers. Got to do the wire on you. The wireless tasers. <laughs> <laughs> Bluetooth laser tasers. Bluetooth tasers. Yeah. Bluetooth. Yes. An app to hit the button and just keep tasing them. I'm still waiting for the Minority Report. The sick stick. You remember that? No. They hit people with a baton and it makes them sick. They start throwing up everywhere. Oh, that's dope. We're that's probably a, not too far yeah. from the future for now. I feel like we're in like Judge uh, Dread right now. Oh. Aren't humans just awful? <laughs> oh my God, <laughs> man. Speaking of, especially veterans. <laughs> yeah, they're like, let's just, you know, it would be great to make a stick where you tap somebody and they just start just vomiting yeah. everywhere. Well, don't, don't they have that little sound wave thing where they play where people uh, start getting sick? Oh, yeah. yeah. Noise. They have, yeah. right? They have these huge, uh, like, funnel-shaped waves that they shoot towards you and they just disorient the crap out of you. Yeah. And they're one, starting to use those for avalanches now. Yeah, for avalanches, avalanches. crowd control. And there's there's a frequency that'll make you shit your pants, too. Uh, I doubt, doubtful Ooh. that it would happen to me because I have the training. <laughs> <laughs> All Spink, that running in the Ranger training. Battalion, that anus is real tight, bro. I, <laughs> uh, yes, you know, I have been to Ranger School, brother. I know when and where to shit they at all times. <laughs> I've been trained. You need enough yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh man, so so you did you do a lot of combat ropes in in Tenth Mountain? No, so man, when I got to uh, there was none of that. So I got to Tenth Mountain in November. Of 2003, mm. and then rumors started that we were going to be deploying in June, and we hit the field, and there was none of that high speed stuff. It was very traditional, you know. The war in Iraq was the first war, I guess, since Vietnam, where we it was very just traditional combat, you know, where these guys are pushing into the city, and we started doing a lot more mount training, and I guess with the IED threat, uh, the uh, a lot of training from the vehicles and such. So, mm. you know, learning how to find IEDs and such. And this was in 2003, going into 2004 when it was just yeah. starting. So it was a lot of dismounted operations, man, and and then just learning how to walk, carrying a lot of heavy stuff. But thank God when we got to Iraq, we had the vehicles. I didn't have to carry the heavy stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Sandbag armor and your Humvees and shit. Oh, dude, our vehicles were so garbage. (laughs) Pros and cons, though, right? I mean, you know, carrying heavy shit or being on a vehicle that's marked to get hit by an ID. Yes, and if you die, you don't even know it, so... 
You know, yeah. what, what, uh, what was the quote in uh, one of the, I think it's Donald Rumsfeld said, you go to war with the army you have. That yeah. was not the war to go. <laughs> yeah. It was horrible. Yeah, I remember we were welding armor on our vehicles in Kuwait and sandbags on one of our vehicles. I, we were driving up uh, Tampa, uh, route Tampa, and I was looking at the ground through the armory, like you could see the ground below you. I was like, dude, this is not oh, good. This ain't going to stop an IED. This is yeah. not going to stop. We had soft top vehicles. Yeah. You know, the yeah. whole up armored yeah. vehicles was very new. We only had a few of them. Yeah. And the bad boys had air conditioning, man. Who, you know, who thought that those were the right vehicles to send over? You know? Mm. I mean, they're, they're just like, you know. Same people who spent 30 years developing the Bradley. <laughs> I never got to do the Bradley yeah. though, man. I wish. Well, lucky for you. I mean, <laughs> uh, that, that's good. So you went through all your training, got your unit. It, it was pretty smooth sailing for there, minus a few hazing moments, right? Oh, God, yeah. Mm, right? <laughs> and then you deployed how shortly thereafter? So we got to you know, Fort Drum, November 2003. We deployed June of 2004. Huh. So we spent after, 30 yeah. days in uh, Kuwait and Camp Burien. And after that, we made the trip north to uh, Baghdad, and we were stationed at Camp Victory okay. mm -hmm. in the middle. So, and I remember my uh, my trailer was, I guess you could say the pad we were on was right across from the MWR. Okay. And I'm over here in a war zone. I just remember looking at everybody else, like, going to MWR salsa night, like, just partying. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm like, y'all do realize, like, we're in the middle of combat, but okay, that's I when I realized not everybody's infantry, so. <laughs> <laughs> True story. True story. <laughs> Set in an office all day, Yeah. <clears throat> Yep. So how was your experience coming off the bird into Iraq? So we didn't come off the bird. We drove the entire route. It was like a four-day trip. Hmm. It was from? From uh, Kuwait. Oh, from Kuwait. Yeah, and okay. I remember, uh, we were driving up the road. That sounds <laughs> like June? a blast. It was horrible. Yeah. Oh, I can imagine. Hot, man. A whole bunch of stinky, sweaty soldiers. Oh. And I remember there was we were driving. I felt something in my vest. And so I remember I started freaking out. I thought something crawled in my vest. And I started stripping naked in the Humvee, like, get it off me. Get it <laughs> off me. And that's when I first learned about this thing called prickly heat. Uh oh. Yeah, man. I had prickly heat, dude. And I guess all my pores were getting clogged up from dirt and sand. And oh, man. feeling, man. That's an interesting feeling. Yeah. yeah. Pull your shit together, true. <laughs> yeah. And it's the bear and it's just. <laughs> <laughs> You gotta just keep going with it, baby. Him. Yeah, I lost. Yeah, I lost my military bearing, dude. I thought something was eating me alive. It was oh, horrible. Dude, one yeah. of those camel spiders. <laughs> I see these things. How long did that drive take? It was four days, man. Oh. I mean, we stopped at like Camp Navstar. Skinia. You're like, this is good training. Yeah, That's it was good training, man. I remember we had a car that was uh on one of those side roads. They were like, "Yo, this car's coming straight at us," and I was behind the fifty cal, and I was like, "My Please. first kill." Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I remember char yeah. pulling the charging oh. handle, man. That butterfly trigger, ready to rock, and car spins a three six and goes the other way. Like, isn't there a saying that it's better to ask for forgiveness? <laughs> <laughs> man, you Maybe know, not with war crimes, but uh, <laughs> you could try. We, uh, we could have got away with that in two thousand three. Yeah, <laughs> wouldn't have been frowned upon then. Now, was, not so much. He was five hundred <laughs> meters away. <laughs> <laughs> Warning shot. Yeah. Just put your M9 next to him, you know. <laughs> he had a gun. <laughs> he took my gun. He took it. He took it from me. Uh, man, so a four-day four trip, good training, and then what was your operational status then? So, man, I was stuck on base for like the first two months while they were doing the right seat rides, and I was stuck on base doing like escorts for the Iraqis that worked on base. And then finally we get like, get your stuff together. We're going outside the wire. Oh, yeah. Like, here we go. And in my mind, I'm thinking every day's like Black Hawk down. And that was not the case. Yeah. It, yeah. It was a, we literally drove around. We were in the countryside, I guess, somewhere southeast or southwest Baghdad. Oh, there was like nothing. Yeah. I see lady doing her clothes. We drive around. Saw him like four times that day. And I'm like, what's going on? Shoot us. Let's do something. Let's do some cool stuff, man. Yeah. Let's do some hood rest stuff with my boys. <laughs> and it just never happened. And so, I remember we were sitting in a Humvee. Uh, one of our guys, Sergeant Pedro, he fought an operation in Anaconda in Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he got to see some he got to see some shit. Sure. And I'm just sitting there itching for a fight. And he's like, why are you so eager to get into a gunfight? It's like, I want to do some cool stuff, Sarge. He was like, do you know what it's like to see your friends die? Like, no. He's like, I do. He's like, I'm good just sitting here. Yeah. Made it real so, for you. Yeah. Yeah. He, he brought, but it's still. Like, you're being a real, <laughs> you're being a real downer. Yeah. <laughs> you're a party pooper. Yeah, <laughs> yeah man. Yeah. So what, what happened was we eventually ended up getting moved to Abu Ghraib, Iraq. Mm, okay. And when we went to Abu Ghraib, like it, it changed. Mm. It changed. Like it was, uh, you know, pop shots. And then the IEDs started. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, I got hit by probably two IEDs in that time. Yeah. In my home, I remember the first IED. Little con- shakes? No, man, they were big ones, but thank God everybody walked away. My homeboy that he's here with me, I remember our first IED was on, a, we were on Route Forest Green. We were right in the middle of uh, Abu Ghraib. There's a milk factory. Anybody that patrolled Abu Ghraib knows the milk factory. Mm-hmm. That place was a hotbed for insurgent activity. You know, so we're uh, patrolling down Route Forest Green. And I remember, man, looking at these ducks in the little creek by us, and there's so much greeny over there. And all of a sudden, I'm just talking to my buddy and just, you just hear this loud percussion, boom, and you just feel the waves rip through you. And I looked at the vehicle in front of me, my homeboy, he was in the, the driver of the vehicle. And I just remember it's like a movie, Randy! <laughs> and that's when I realized, yo, these people really want to kill us. Yeah, you yeah. Know? And everybody walked away unscathed, but, you know, guys, you know, developed TBIs and stuff, but... In that point in time, they didn't know that then. Yeah. You know, so, you know, I just remember seeing Randy walk around the outside of the Humvee. I'm like, you good, bro? He's like, I'm good, man. man. Up, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that initial IED detonates. How do you feel? Do you feel fear? Do you feel like this is time for us to crush it? Or what's going on in your I mind? I'm terrified because I realized watching in a movie... You know, there's no pause button. Yeah. And, and there's also not the feelings, right? The smell, the no, overpressure. You know, like, and I say the fear is so real. And it's just like you realize your mortality, like I could really die over here. This yeah. ain't a game. Yeah. And But it also really made me bend down the hatches. Like I got to have my shit wire tight. Mm-hmm. And I have to be ready to go in a heartbeat's notice. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know what? Let's do this, man. I was, re- I was ready to get my first kill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ready, but itching okay. since I was itching. They're like, you're shoot. Yeah, but it's, <laughs> yeah. It, but it makes you so mad because this is not a traditional war where you're just shooting back and forth at each other. Yeah. These guys know they can't go toe to toe with us, yeah. so they mm-hmm. hit you and they run. And yeah. I never saw guerrilla tactics. Yeah, guerrilla tactics, man. I never saw an insurgent up close. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't know who the enemy was, so I assumed everybody around me that didn't look like me was the enemy. Yeah, there are many. No. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> they are tiny. <laughs> I'm in a class of my own with the yeah. skin. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I can say that because they're terrorists. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, man. So that, that the terror that's going through your mind, but you still have that training kind of kicks in. And I, th- I think that's a really good thing to note is that our military service members out there they really train out that that um, flight, you know, portion of the fight or flight. Mm. You oh know? yeah. And we're really laser focused on locking that in. So you were able to kind of know and assess the threat and be ready and nothing happened or? Well, at that, no, no I was waiting for an attack, but no attack ever came. No attack. You know, they, they scattered and went about their way. Yeah. Thank God. Yeah. You know, balls in their court at that point, right? Yep. And it's, we, we talked about this before the show is you never want to be in a reactive mode. No. You know, especially in a firefight. You want to be on the offensive and make, you know, home team advantage, right? Yeah, and man, that thing is Route Force Green. I mean, we found so many IEDs on that road. Thanksgiving of 2004, I mean, we were uh, patrolling, getting ready to go back and grab some turkey. Mm-hmm. And our, our dismounted patrols walking back right by the milk factory. And I'm looking up, my homeboy Randy just got through dropping a hot one in front of the Humvee. Me and him were joking. And I see the dismounts coming and next thing you know, just boom, they disappear in a ball of fire. Fire. And thank God, I don't know how they all survived. Pedro, the guy I was telling you about that was in Afghanistan, yeah. he took a large piece of shrapnel through his forearm, almost lost his hand. And then uh, Tolson, my buddy Seth Tolson, he took a piece through his uh, ankle, almost lost his foot. Mm-hmm. One of our guys got blown into a canal. But everybody, thank God, everybody walked away pretty much after that. Nobody died. Yeah, And that was just like, man, where are these dudes at? Like, they keep coming at us, but... And that's got to make you feel a little complacent, a little invincible. Yeah, and, the, and just the psychology of it, like, who do you, who are we fighting? Where are you at? Like, who? Give me somebody to shoot in the face. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I think that's a good point, and I'm so glad that you bring it up too. Is is you know some of our listeners might find that a little harsh and abrasive. <laughs> But at the end of the day, that's what you were trained to do. That's what yeah. you, that's the infantry, and man. that's what everybody everybody says that they get on the show and they're like nine eleven, you know, post, you know, college sense, of, you know, sense of service. But at the end of the day, you know, if you're in this field or special operations, infantry, you know, any any combat <laughs> level position, 
You want to shoot the terrorists in the face. You want yeah. to close with and destroy the enemy. And, and I'm sorry, guys, that's what war is. We got to take the bad guy down, right? I think, I think you're right. But also the fact that this whole issue in Russia, you know, or in Ukraine, right? Russia's invading Ukraine currently. And that's mm-hmm. all going on. People are getting a firsthand look of what war looks like yeah. again. We've had a bit of a break. People are, have been exhausted with GWAT. You haven't seen anything about it the last like five, seven years. It's been really out of the news. People are getting a really good firsthand look that, oh, yeah, War's fucking awful. Horrible, man. Yeah. And when you're put in that place, when you're put in that position, you will. You will stand up for yourself and you will fight. And I think people are getting a really good reminder of, of that right now. And you're seeing it all on social media. Now, everything. You know, yeah, everything man. is on social media. Live. Yeah, it's, it's happening live. Like you get you get updates 10 With minutes after shit's happening 1080p. right now. 1080p. Yeah. You know, you know, <laughs> 4K. Yeah, yeah 4K. Yeah. Live uh, death, man. Yeah. And yeah, so so the mentality is, is like we need to stop really focusing on what's right to do mm. and focus on how to defeat the enemy. That's what right? it needs to be. There needs to, there's, needs to a, be... A plan, an actual battle plan. A battle plan. <laughs> you know, it's not hearts and minds. No, it is. and that's <laughs> what know? it was when we were in Iraq. It was exactly. hearts and minds, man. It's like... I really don't care about these people's hearts or minds. I just want to live and get home. Yeah, yeah but, the, you know, there's there's being a decent person, but at the end of the day, you know, you let that guard down in that kind of environment, that's when it jumps up and bites you. Yep. yep. You know, is 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 the kids that you give a candy day uh, today to will lob grenades off the roof tomorrow. Yep. You know what I mean? And how do you win against a war like that? You don't win that. You don't win that war. And you, and you can kill them as many as you want, but there's going to be more in place to step yeah. up. Yeah, <laughs> continuous. Yeah. Thanks for the ended. nourishment. I'll wait. <laughs> I'll wait 15 years and come shoot you in the face. Yeah. You know? Thanks for the chocolate, GI. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for the chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great, man. So, so what else is going on in your mind? You see a couple IDs going off. You really haven't experienced any skirmishes yet. When does it hit hard that it this hit, is? It hit hard for me was. I was waiting for my chance to die. Hmm. You know, uh, our guy, our guys in Bravo Company 214, man, they started taking casualties. Uh, I think it was uh, Brandon Titus was killed. They were in Sauter City. So they were in the hot spot from the get-go. Yeah. And we were rolling around the countryside. So Brandon Titus dies, Henry Reisner, and a couple other guys got hit by a— uh, Brandon Baker got killed by a— uh, suicide bomber, you know, mm-hmm. and I was just waiting for it, that tragedy to come to Alpha Company. Yeah. And we had incidents, but nobody got killed. You know, people got hurt, but, and I was just waiting. I knew when I went home on R&R in November, I had a dream that I was laying in my casket in my uh, dress screens and somebody comes up and closed the casket on me and I start banging on the casket like, I'm not dead, I'm not dead, I'm still alive. I took that as a dark omen that I'm not going to make it back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's got to be, that's got to be pretty scary. Yeah. And to constantly feel like the end is coming. It, it, and I, I knew it was, and it almost did come. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Almost did come. So tell us about that. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah uh, let's hear about that. So New Year's Day, January 2nd, or excuse me, January 1st of- New a, Year's Day? New Year's Day, January 1st, 2005. Way to kick off the new year. Man, buddy. I yeah. do. <laughs> brought it in with a bang, man. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> Literally. No pun yeah. intended. Yeah. yeah. So we have been patrolling in Abu Ghraib along Route Huskies. And we had been in this area for a little while and we had pulled up in the same spot. This was our third day pulling to the same spot. Mm-hmm. And there was a family in a house behind us. The first two days they were there. They came out, the Iraqi guy, you know, give us some tea. And me, I just personally did not trust this guy. I didn't trust anybody in the country. Sure. You know, you bring us tea. And I remember we came back the third night. One, the family wasn't there. I was like, it's kind of weird. Like they just dropped off all of a sudden. No power zone in the house. Like, all right, something's up, but I mean, we cleared the area. We didn't see anything, but you can feel when something's about to come. Like that yeah. day I woke up, I just knew something was off. Something wasn't right. And I was like, somebody's watching us. I remember I found this little hedge of bushes to go Too take a Too quiet leap. is a real thing. Way, yes. Even, especially with kids. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, kids. There's no, there's no animal. It's weird. Yeah, it, yeah you, you feel that like tingle in the back of your oh, neck. Yeah. You know, it's yeah, coming. You know, it's coming, yo. And like, I was taking a leak, man. I was like, there's somebody watching me. And I remember I ran back to the Humvee. I was like, LT, man, I got a bad feeling. We shouldn't be here, man. Somebody's watching us. He's like, man, listen, you've been in the turret all day. You're tired. You've been out in the sun working on your tan in the turret. Like, hey, go sit in the driver's seat, take a load off. It was nighttime. So I remember talking to my buddies outside the Humvee. 
next to the driver door. Mm-hmm. And we're sitting there, my buddy Pint smoking a cigarette. I'm like, yo, do y'all feel this like vibe? It's like, man, it is kind of weird that you, now that you mentioned it, these people aren't here. So we chat and we go back into the Humvee. I sit in the driver's seat and I remember I take off my helmet and I sit it next to me and I lay my head back. And I, the next thing you know, I remember waking up. It, I kind of remember it in two parts. It's kind of weird. The first part I remember is waking up on the ground initially, looking at the stars and I'm just like, just a ton of pain. But uh, a couple of days later, I remember, it kind of got my memory back. I remember waking up in the Humvee and it's kind of like in the movies, man, where it's like everything's moving slow motion. You got the ringing in your ear. I remember like light coming into the Humvee and I could see specks of dirt floating around. And I just remember somebody hearing, pits, pits, pits. And I was like, what the hell's going on? And then next thing you know, it's like it all comes to that. I just hear screaming and yelling. And then this pain's just ravaging my body, man. And I remember, so we had parked on top of two one five 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 artillery shells. Fun. Yeah. 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 And it, it was literally up under my ass. So I took a brunt of the explosion on my door. And my side of the vehicle was wrecked, man. It looked like somebody took a tune, like a tuna can and just peeled yeah. that bad boy open, yo. Know? And my lieutenant pulls me out and I fall to the ground and it is the worst pain I've ever experienced in my life. So I'm laying on the ground in Iraq, like, man, this is it. This is how it ends, man. Yeah. Looking at the stars, like, ah, I'm, I'm only like 20 years old. Like, I don't, I don't want to die. Yeah. And so I remember they started doing the assessment and they cut my, uh, my, uh, my, beat, my uh, DCU top off. And I remember looking at my arm like, holy crap. Like, my arm is mangled. Like, it was a compound fracture, but it didn't come through the skin. My left arm was completely shattered. I remember I could taste, like, blood and dirt in my mouth. And so they uh, cut all that off of me. They put a splint on my arm. And then Thank I re- God it didn't bust through the skin, dude. No, yeah, because I was that well, you, you, you know, know how many infection. washouts you would have had? Well, that's the thing. I did end up having, a, like, probably about 12, wa- uh, no, 10 washouts because I did develop a staph infection. Yeah. You know, but, man, like, I was just laying there, and I remember, like, well, hold up. I mean, look down like, oh, God, okay, my dick's still there. Yeah. <laughs> every time. Every time. Everybody. Yeah. Everybody, everybody, you, everybody I mean, bro. You got to. I mean, it's I like. I can come home a hero with no legs. Yeah. <laughs> I would much rather be missing my leg than. Uh, absolutely. absolutely. My package. The one yeah. thing that makes you a man. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, well. Man, like, just, just kill me, bro. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we had we had a plastic surgeon on who uh, says you can replace them now. So really, yeah, yeah, yeah. Apparently, yeah. there's an, a full article about which one you could select. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like Let a catalog. Get prototypes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the prototype. Yeah, that's the one I opted yeah. for too. Cyborg. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the black forearm five thousand. Yeah, <laughs> you get the proper setting on your uh, Bluetooth on the app. <laughs> oh, yes, it all has to be app controlled. I'm all about it. The same one as the Taser. It, uh, feels really good. You know. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, I have to ask the question is how does your perspective change, you know, flirting that close with death? You know, you take, you take life not as serious, I guess you could say. You learn to not take things so serious, man. And mm-hmm. that's why, you know, we can sit here and make jokes about stuff because you just realize how fragile life is and life's too short to be spending yeah. being so serious and arguing Worrying all the time. Worrying about monotonous stuff, you know? things. And, and that's got to drive you, you know, just the whole veteran community who's actually, you know, really <clears throat> experienced like that combat feel is, you know, you hear everything in the world around you and it's got to be so irritating. It is irritating. Because you're just talking and bitching about mundane things that don't matter. That literally don't matter. You know? You know, and and for me, when I was at Walter Reed, you know, I I almost lost my arm, but I was able to maintain it, thank God. I had 12 surgeries. I had a 13th surgery in 2015 where they took the plate out. So, like, my left arm is, that's all I got. locked, yeah. Yeah, I don't have nothing more. So, when I walk around, people look at me weird. Like, I got a kind of a weird walk, like a limp. Mm-hmm. Like, my back and hips got blown out of alignment, and the way my arm hangs and swings when I walk draws a lot of attention, you know? It's like your yeah. strong hand. Yeah, yeah, it is definitely my strong <laughs> hand, dude. <laughs> the, like, the most annoying thing is, like, when the door opens up and opens too far, and I can't grab it, I'm like, Got to lean out the car. The whole body we'll go out. do a drive-thru and, like, trying to get my change. Yeah. I'm like, mm, thank you. Yeah, sir. Yeah. <laughs> I just grab a cup, like, hey, drop it in here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you got you got to get one of those claws with the suction cups. I, I, man, I, my buddy, one <laughs> somebody got claw. me one as a prank gift, and I was like, <laughs> I refused to the use it. Claw. Yeah, the reacher claw. <laughs> I got know? too much pride, man. <laughs> 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 or they see me in a drive-through, like I lean all the way over like this with the, <laughs> the right arm. Yeah, 
Oh, man. Like, so, nothing to complain about, but I mean, I, thank God I still got it. But yeah. it's so weird. Like, people try to compare injuries. Like, well, I got hurt, but not that bad. Like, dude, it don't matter. You got hurt in war. You got hurt in war. It's suck either way. That suck. And everybody faces their own battles, right? Everybody, man. So is there not corrective surgery that could kind of give you more, you know, range of motion? So I'm sure there is. I had the plate taken off in 20, I think it was 2015 because mm-hmm. it was starting to come loose. But I've been cut up so much, man. And I just I don't want to go through it again. And actually, yeah. I'm supposed to be having surgery on the 23rd on my right shoulder. And this has been my biggest fear since I got hurt because if this goes down, I'm going to be stuck with half a wing. And so I was yeah. chasing the guy. Might as well do both at the same time. Not as well. Just go wingless. <laughs> you know? Well, and I'll wing, get yeah. the uh, prototype penis attached while I'm at it. Yeah. So. <laughs> Best police officer <laughs> ever. <laughs> Coming at you. Officer Robo. <laughs> Robo. We can Period. make him better, faster, larger. Make him longer. Last longer. Yeah. Stronger. Yeah. Level 9,000. Yeah. Do you have a... Do you have full dexterity in your hands still? Yeah, yeah. So okay. uh, these two fingers constantly go numb. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I, I don't have full supination and pronation. Okay. So mm-hmm. when I was uh, learning to qualify with the uh, rifle, I had to retrain myself. I was a left-handed shooter. Oh, I retrained okay. myself to be a right-handed shooter. Mm-hmm. And then just with the pistol, like, they're like, fully extend your arms. I'm like, like that doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't work like that. Yeah, nah, but I still don't miss, though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that's good. Yeah, you got to make it Learn work. Learn to adapt, man. Adapt and overcome. Yeah, right. absolutely. That's actually true. That is uh, That is very true. Yeah, that's that's impressive. Yeah, I, I watched uh, a video of, you know, Crispy, Omar. Oh, yeah, I love Crispy, man. Yeah, he was doing a demonstration video a couple days ago um, on how he holds his pistol, and he has to completely change up his grip in a way that, like, wouldn't make sense to, like, a, a fully able person, I suppose. But watching him, like, still plink a target from 100 yards out with a handgun, it's, it's impressive to watch. You can do anything, man. 100 yards yeah. out, Jesus. Yeah, God bless. That's just regular infantry too, man. Pretty good. <laughs> Rangers can't do that. <laughs> M9. Yeah. Um, so no. how, how was your recovery? Can you walk man, us through that yeah. process? So I did, uh, like I said, I, I developed a staph infection. I was getting ready yeah. to go home on convalescent leave after like a week at Walter Reed. But the doctors came in a room like, you get on a plane, you're going to die. Mm. And I was determined to go, but like my, my arm had swollen like two, three times its size. And if you just touch it, it was like, ah. Yeah, yeah, I had developed a real bad staph infection, and that's when they just went but on th- hit. Those are the most painful things Horrible. in the world. Oh, man. Those are worse than the injury itself. Yes. Yeah. And, man, they just, I remember they just sliced my arm open. Cool. They would uh, take me down to the PT room in Walter Reed, and they would just start cleaning. I'm just looking at the inner workings of my arms, flayed open, you know, yeah. just they're picking out all the old dead skin and pouring and pulling. It's just the pain is awful. And I didn't want to be a bitch because I was looking at dudes with, like, no legs, and they're like... Yeah. <laughs> Hold it together. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm yeah, tough. I'm tough. I swear. It's well, just because they, you know, needed to go pee but couldn't do the same. Just like <laughs> you. Yeah. They did the same with me with the catheter. Uh, you know, they're like, uh, we did an MRI and we're like, your bladder's about to burst. Dude, you, we're going to have to put a catheter in. And I was like, you're not coming near me <laughs> <No>. <laughs> with that thing. And they're like, well, you need to go or we're giving you one. And I, I remember just, I, you know, I had like the hoses and everything. I'm like, you know, just roll me into the bathroom, please. And I'm like sitting there like, you know, for several minutes coming out and be like, morphine. I need morphine. <laughs> oh, dude, that morphine, dude. That was my first time ever having anything like, oh, my God. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I was floating to the ceiling like, my God, did I just get blown up? (laughs) Euphoric. It really is. But the worst part was the constipation that comes from it. Oh, absolutely. Dude, I was... I don't think I shit for six months. Yeah. (laughs) It almost felt like it. And when I did, I wanted to cry. It hurt so bad. I was Uh, like, oh. The nasty side effects with that shit, Dude, no. And and they wouldn't let me go home unless I got off the uh, morphine drip. So Mm. I quit cold turkey. Now, I always wonder why I always see crackheads like, yeah, you you know, itchy and... I just quit cold turkey. And so I went home for, I was there for three months the first time. And then I went home for about a month for convalescent leave mm-hmm. and uh, came back and did another three months at uh, Walter Reed. And I think it was the Malone house or the, it was right. It was uh, where they take you to, where you're not, not really in the hospital. House? Fisher house. Yeah. Fisher house. Yeah. Fisher, Fisher house. house. Yeah. Where I was there. And when I was there, that was the whole controversy of they're not taking care of the soldiers. The Walter Reed's falling apart. I guess I was in the nice part. Yeah. I don't know why. They say all nice black guy. Like, let's put him in the good part. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know, speaking of black people, no, 
Denzel Washington is a huge supporter of the Fisher House. Is he? Yeah, the CFI San Antonio. He he's one of the main donors for the Fisher love House. Denzel. He, That's a good. He wrote like a, a great dude. Wrote great like dude. a half million dollar check on the spot. It was like, how much does that cost? And, and he didn't want any recognition wow. for it. Like barely any recognition for it. Yeah. I mean, the guy. Yeah, that's a hero. See how my great my people too. are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's Denzel, man. It's Denzel. Yeah. Yeah. So you're. So walk us through a little bit of your physical therapy, occupational therapy, for instance, for your hand. I mean, that had to be a lot of dexterous movements. Yeah. And- so well, the biggest thing for me was psychological wise was I didn't feel like a soldier anymore. So my uh, occupational therapist Steve, I remember he brought me in a rifle. He was like, take it together, uh, take it apart, put it back together. And I started to feel like a soldier again, disassembling, you know, the M4, putting it back together. Yeah. And the dopest thing he did was he took me to the store and he was like, hey, you hungry? I was like, yeah, let's go to the grocery store. There was a grocery store down from Walter Reed. So he would take me there. Hey, man, let's go to do some shopping. So we'd be in the store. Hey, that soda looks good. I'm like, yeah. He's like, why don't you go grab it? So I would go grab it with my right arm. He's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. No. Testing you. Yeah. <laughs> grab your left with your left hand. So I pick up the soda and I'm walking around the store sweating and my left arm just, you know, just oh, wow. dying, yeah. man. And he's like, ah, I was like, can I get a cart? You don't need a cart, man. And it was those little things he did like that that helped me to rehab myself. Mm. And I mean, another one was a, a game Full Spectrum Warrior came out on Xbox. Steve bought me a freaking Xbox. And mm. then he bought me that game and playing the controllers. Oh, yeah. Because one of the last things I got back was my movement with my thumb. I wasn't able to use my thumb. And using that little bit with the controller, uh, yeah, it helped yeah. me to get, like, the full range of motion with the thumb back. So That's a great well, idea. Well, we love Steve. Yeah. Love awesome Steve. guy, dude. That's a great resiliency exercise, too. And to really make you feel like you're back in the military. is yes. like You don't have a choice. Grab that soda. Now you're holding it for the next yeah. 30 minutes. Yep. And just That's walking your around the store sweating, man. It was... Yeah. I hated him because I felt like he was the devil. Absolutely. But he got me back to 100%. And yeah. I think most injured, you know, personnel are going to tell you the same thing is I hated my physical therapist when they came in with crutches in the hospital. Mm. Hated him. But at the end of the day, like <clears throat> I almost wanted to, you know, pursue a career in physical therapy. I because did. I knew. Yeah. yeah. So I, I did. the when same I, way? Yeah. When I got out, I went to school for occupational therapy briefly, but I was like, this is kind of boring. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just a bunch of old people in well, here. <laughs> the Center for the Intrepid and Walter Reed are like the premier places that you want to be, right? Yeah. It's like most people aren't dealing with those injuries. You know, you go to the VA, there's a lot of diabetes, mm. you know, a lot of old injuries <laughs> and speaking of <laughs> diabetes. Because I heard y'all talking about us on the show last week, bro. We're going to fight after this is over. Uh, you <laughs> can try Jack it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can try we'll find, it. We'll find Jack Mandeville. He's around here somewhere. Yeah. He was the one. Yeah. It wasn't us. Yeah. Let me take him. my metformin. Yeah. There's going to yeah. be traps of like really sugary Kool-Aid out in the hall as I'm coming down. Brush <laughs> <laughs> oh your lollipop, Dexter. Yeah. Now we can run away. <laughs> so did you have to do like the vehicle training to learn, relearn no, how to no, drive? They, I didn't do any of the vehicle training. So when I came, when I finally got released from Walter Reed and went back to Fort Drum, my buddies, uh, they were getting ready to go back for their 07 tour mm-hmm. in Iraq, man. And I was just sitting there. While I, I, I was getting ready to get medically discharged, get retired. And I just felt so horrible. Like, man, I want to go back. And mm-hmm. it's so weird when you get hurt in combat and you have to leave yeah. and you just feel like a piece of crap. Like, and I remember telling my uh, captain in uh, at the green zone when they were willing me off onto the Blackhawk to fly me to a uh, I think it was a Mortaritaville, they called it LSA Anaconda. I was like, I'm sorry, sir. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'll be back. I promise. You know, and yeah. just it was a horrible feeling. Like you just feel like you let everybody down. Yeah. You didn't do anything wrong, but you just, you developed that bond and combat with these guys. Yeah. Why do you think that is that you feel like you're letting other people down? Because you, you expect yourself to be there for them through the entire time. Mm-hmm. I mean, even when I was on R&R, I was watching, you know, uh, the Battle of Fallujah just kicked off and I, I was glued to the TV the entire time. Yeah. And I just, I couldn't really enjoy myself being home knowing that my boys were still in harm's way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you made a promise to them. Yeah. Right? Made a promise to keep you safe and I'm over here. What can I do? Yep. Living it up and, you know, back in the States. Yeah. It's a hard you know. feeling. Yeah, it's a real hard feeling. It's a tough one, you know, but I, I bet you that extends to how you feel today, being out of the service and seeing our guys going back over Yes. You know, and it, even more so with the police department now, that is the one thing like that dropped me, brought me to the police department was that sense of camaraderie where mm-hmm. I was like, you know, so when the riots kicked off in Louisville in 2020, yeah. I was with the PD for about eight years and I left in 20. 20- 
18. And I decided I was going to go join the Border Patrol. Okay. And so I was down on the border for about a year. But I remember watching on my phone as the riots kicked off. And I remember the office I worked is downtown. I remember seeing somebody throw a rock through the window, just shattering it. And I'm looking at all my buddies under fire in, in Louisville, yeah. you know, my city. And I'm just like, I can't do this. And I remember putting the phone down and I started sending emails like, I'm coming back. So at a time in Louisville, when everybody was trying to get away from the Louisville and leaving the PD, I was trying to get back because I was like, there's no way I'm letting this happen. And just seeing my guys, I mean, it just broke my heart the first night of the riots when like 13 shots rang out. And there was all these shots and people were trying to tip over a police van. And I just remember seeing all my guys. I saw the faces. And I knew them like going to rush to help people that were there trying to, you know, telling them like, you suck. I hate you. Fuck the police. Yeah. And the officers are going to help these people that hate them so much. At and I was time, like, yeah. I got to get home. Mm-hmm. And so I finally got home and uh, I got back to Louisville June, June of 2020. And I swore back in with the PD on June 15th. Okay. And for the next month, it was, or for the next year and a half, it was almost like a combat deployment where we're in the streets and people are constantly threatening us, threatening our lives. And, you know, we're going to kill your families. And I would be driving home at the end of my shift. I would cut my lights off on the interstate and it's nighttime and I'm flying like 80, 90, 100 miles per hour trying to make sure nobody's following me. Yeah. And then when I would get close to my house, I would park like a quarter mile away. Wait. And Well, no, walk. Oh, walk. Walk. Because if I'm walking, I can see if somebody's following me. Yeah. You know, it was really a, I'll tell how bad the protests and riots were. It was a combat deployment. And we're now starting to see a lot of the uh, stuff with PTSD pop off from our officers. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm bit, I've been struggling recently with it myself, too. Like, nightmares and just brain fog, man. So, uh, another thing for me is, like, that's why I wrote my book as well. Because I have a story, like everybody else, and I want officers and, you know, police and, to, and uh, veterans to know we all struggle, man. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen too many tough guys kill themselves. Yeah. And that's what kind of led me to really finish my book was, you know, I want to leave a legacy for my kids. Absolutely. And so it took me seven years to write my book. Yeah. And that for me, like. Well, it's, yeah. it, oh. it's, it's an important thing to note that, you know, it's not a normal situation that you're in. You know, it, it, we used to think of PTSD as this big bad beast, right? And and just being less of a man or woman. And that's not it at the end of the day. You're exposed to completely unnatural situations. And if you're reacting that way, it's because you're normal. It's normal. Mm-hmm. That, that is the When you see your buddy get response. shot in the head, you should be disturbed by that. And if you're not, then there's something wrong with you. You're a psychopath. You're a psychopath. <laughs> Entirely. You know, so being able to be open about it and communicate with it. And I'm sure while you were writing that book, that was probably one of the best sources of, you know, therapy for you. It was. I mean, I I went back and I mean, there was just so much and just trauma in my life in general. As a rookie officer, uh, my mom and dad were in a domestic dispute. They had been divorced. And I get a call as a rookie officer. I'm only six months in and that my mom's been shot and she's at the hospital. I get to the hospital, she's shot in the head, and she's got these brown paper bags on her hands. I'm trying to figure out who shot and killed my mother. My mother shot and killed herself, and as a rookie officer in my uniform, I made the call to take my mom off life support. And so when I started writing my book, I got to that point. I remember I shut down emotionally, and it took me a long time to get back to, like, I got to finish this book. And what really spurred me to finish the book was September 23rd, 2020, after the uh, Breonna Taylor verdict in Louisville, mm-hmm. uh, we were out on a, not a patrol, but we were, uh, there were protesters in the downtown area, like First and Brook or First and Broadway. And one of my biggest fears was getting caught in the middle of an open lot with no cover. Mm-hmm. And as yeah. we're getting off the bus, somebody starts shooting at us. And you just hear, you know, shots fired and we scatter. Then you hear the call, officers down, not officer, but officers down. Two of our guys got shot. And we get them loaded up, man, and we're, they, we get them to the hospital. And I remember being told, like, hey, there's protesters heading to the hospital because there were two deputies out in California that had got shot. Mm-hmm. And protesters went to the hospital to block them from getting to the hospital. Yeah. And so I remember we started hoofing it down Broadway, running, just trying to get to the hospital before the protesters could. But thank God our guys got there. But then, you know, all that happens, that adrenaline rush. Mm-hmm. And then you drive home and you walk into your door. Your best friends got shot and you're supposed to go love on your family. Yeah. Yeah. Hard to separate that. It's hard. You, and then you got to come back the next day. Yeah. When you're, when you're in a combat deployment, you go out on patrol, you come back to the base, you're in a secure area surrounded by other killers, right? 
It's big defenses, other big people defense. there willing to stand up and fight for you. When your shift ends as a police officer, you go home, you're still protecting your family. You're, you're by yourself, uh, you know, for the most part, like that, that feeling has got to be exponentially more terrifying than Way combat. More. That was the most terrifying thing was if you got a beef with me, that's cool. Yeah. But my wife and my kids have nothing to do with this. Yeah. And man, we had there were so many death threats and just, it was just constantly turned on. And that's how you develop complex PTS, you know, yeah. just when you're constantly in a turn on mode, yep. and yeah. you don't get to turn off. Yep. yep. It's like a light switch, man. It's supposed to be on and off, but now it's just kind of stuck in the middle where it's like, you know, yeah. just. Yeah, which direction flicker. do I go? Yeah. <laughs> so Damn. this brings up an interesting question, you know. Because you have experience on both facets of the story, right? Being a a veteran as well as a police officer, first responder. How do you delineate the difference between, you know, the enemy and the civilians that you're serving? You know what I mean? In a riot, you kind of got to turn off the people aspect of people and think of them as bags of meat. If that makes sense, right? It's like you can't associate a name or a face to these people at this point. It's just an objective to contain the environment. So knowing that you're, I guess, going against the American population as opposed to a terrorist population, mm-hmm. how do you delineate the difference there? So I wouldn't say we didn't look at people as the enemy. Yeah, We, we didn't use that term as police officers because there's no American citizen that's the enemy. There's just yeah. people that really hate you. That, and that's it, good to say when the Molotov's coming right yeah, at you. Yeah, well, the uh, thing know. was... You know, we have the right to bear arms in this country. And this was the first time I experienced was people, American citizens that were on the opposite end of the political spectrum than me, mm-hmm. tacked out. Yeah. I mean, and that just tacked out, approaching you. And I have to make sure that this person, if they don't like me, I have to make sure that they have the right to bear arms. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I can't say, hey, because, you, you know, you're with Black Lives Matter or whatever organization, you can't have that rifle. No, you can have that rifle. Mm-hmm. And that's when training kicks, comes in where, you know, low ready versus, you know, somebody coming up. You have to know when a threat is there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was the most aggravating thing was being surrounded by your fellow Americans that fully tacked out that didn't like you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I remember when we had the NFAC coalition, co- coalition come to town. They were the not fucking around coalition, the black separatist group. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they marched through downtown. I mean, and we were caught in the middle between it's the police in the middle you got NFAC, and then you have the three percenters on the other side. And the police, we're caught in the middle. And right. if somebody, it, all it takes is one spark to burn down a yes, force. Yes, absolutely. Yep. If there was one idiot in that crowd, it would have been World War III. Just shooting downtown. a gun up in the air. Just in the yep. air. Yeah. And you could tell. It's just so unstable. Yeah, it's yep. very unstable. You, as being trained, you know who's trained and who's not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, they had a accidental discharge at the park before and had shot two of their own people. And so I was like, man, this could get really bad. I mean, before I got dressed and went to work, I put on my, uh, my soft armor. And then on top of that, I put on my, 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 uh, my level four armor, man. And it was so hot that day, man. And it was just like, I'm hot, I'm tired, but I got to stay alert, man. And there was nothing we could do as police. If it would have popped off that day, all we could Mm -hmm. do was pop smoke in the middle, take cover. Yeah. It's got to be such a weird feeling. Oh, crazy wear, feeling. Man. Wearing body armor around your hometown like that. Yeah. Like while you're going to serve and protect your hometown, you're out there actively making sure that these people won't kill themselves or each other or you at the same time and ensure that the civilians who have nothing to do with any of it are taken care of as well. That's a lot of responsibility to put on your guy's plate. It is, but you know, the fun, the thing I look at now is how these, organ, these uh, I wouldn't call them organizations, but the political thing is like this whole black versus white thing in America right now. Yeah. But, our buddies that got shot, my buddies that got shot that night at the uh, first and Broadway, it was a black officer and a white officer. But we got people out here saying Black Lives Matter, but I'm like, we got a black officer and a white officer that, that, that just got shot. Yeah. A phenomenal white officer at that and a phenomenal black officer. Yeah. And for that's what I love about the police department and the veteran community, man. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not about color. It's all about character integrity. It is. When it. the chips hit the fan, are you going to be there for me? Yeah. So that that brings up a great point too is what do you like think about the division that's going on in this country right now? You I mean you got the first you were at the forefront of the battle for that, right, with the riots and stuff and the division between the white and black community. 
I hate it, man. Mm. And honestly, I don't think there's really a division between the white and black community. I feel like it's the fringes of our country yeah. that are speaking for every all of us caught in the middle. The loudest yeah. Because, ones. I mean, I'm black. I've been black. The left and right the left extremists. And right. Yeah, the extremists yeah. on both yeah. ends. Yep. And I tell people that is not the average everyday American. I've been black in this country 37 years. I can count on the one hand the time somebody come up to me and yelled and said the N-word to me, you know? Mm-hmm. it's It just doesn't happen every day. Right. And if it is somebody, it's somebody that's like homeless that has nothing going for themselves, you know? Yeah. Or they're a punk. They're you a know? punk. They're yeah. a punk you know, on the street. Yeah. I had a little old white lady spit in my face and call me a nigga one day, you know, when I was a young officer. And... What could I do about it? It's a word. Baton straight to yeah. the phone. <laughs> if I would have done a six stick, yeah, I, dude, I saw. I, I, thought, I, I thought about <laughs> it in the moment. I thought about it, and I was like, man, if I do that, this little old white lady, yeah, and me, big old black officer, it's not going to look good in the papers. And I remember driving yeah. her to the jail. She was like, "I'm gonna tell him you tried to rape me, you dirty ape." I wanted to break off the prototype penis and yeah, oh my. <laughs> God, ah. <laughs> God, let's just, yeah, let's get But the, yeah, yeah, uh, but like the whole race thing, is there racist people in America? Of course, they're always going to be, but that is not the norm. That is not, not the, the norm. It is not yeah. the norm. I'm yeah. so glad you said it's that not because the norm, it's not. Yeah. And it's not the military community. It's not the first responder community. It is a melting pot. You it know? is an absolute Left and right, brother's brother, sister's sister, a bullet. <laughs> Does not delineate the difference. Not at all, dude. And I mean, I've seen plenty of people bleed that didn't look like me, and it's all the same blood, dude. Yeah, yep. it is. And, we all look and, the same on the inside. All, all the same. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's all pink, right? Yeah, <laughs> it's all pink, baby. You know, it, it, it just breaks my heart seeing where we're at, at, at in this country at this point mm-hmm. in time, man. And I just, I really want us to get away from it. It's like we're going, regressing as a society where yeah. we have black-only graduations, but if you went and had a white-only graduation, it would be a problem. Yeah. We have black-only dorms on colleges, but if you had a white-only dorm, it'd be a problem. Yeah. And like, you know, this whole it's, black privilege. It, we are regressing. We, yeah. That's we really regressing. Are. You know? And it, it, it just breaks my heart because I see it in the streets, but I tell people, even with people that hate the police, that's not the norm. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. just when you're in combat or you're in this environment and you're constantly being told you're hated, yeah. that's what yeah. you start to think is reality. And that's not reality. And bag, bad eggs. There's always bad eggs in every category. <laughs> like, there is a shit ton of police officers that blow at their job. Oh, yes. Oh, abs. I you know can what attest I mean? to this. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I always wonder, I was like, how did you get here? Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and unfortunately, they set the precedence because, you know, they have a target on their back or a spotlight on them for uh, action that they did specifically that broke the code of the oath that they signed up for. And I take that personally. Yeah. I, really, I mean, we were talking to some recruits the other day in Louisville. I told them, like, yo, if you go out, out here and do something stupid yeah. wearing that uniform, there is no blue wall of silence. Mm-hmm. I've yeah. worked too hard and sacrificed too much in this uniform to let you come out here and discredit this entire yeah. profession. Accountability. I it, accountability. I take yeah. it very personal. Good. Yeah. And yeah. Like, even if I come encounter with a vet while I'm working that's done something dumb, you know, I'm going to hold you accountable. Like, if you're a cool and decent person, man, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not going to hem you to the wall. I don't. My thing is, as an officer, I try not to take money out of a citizen's pocket and put it into the pocket of the government. Yeah. yeah. But if you come at me wrong, you're getting ridden. Though. Yeah. And I'm going to take you. Like, if you, if I see you do something to hurt somebody, you're going to jail. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I just don't believe in get, uh, stopping people on these petty offenses constantly and just taking money out of their pockets. Yeah, man. I'm, I'm here to protect the American populace. Mm. Yes. Not put you in debt to the government. You know, that's not how I want to do it. And, and two, you know, as a police officer, you have to be able to you know, mind your surroundings. Mm-hmm. You know, if you see a fellow police officer putting a knee in someone's face for seven minutes. Yeah, that, that un- unacceptable. And two other officers are standing near. If I was that, if I was an officer on scene, I would have missile kicked that fucking officer. He needed to be, man. But the, see, but that's the problem where it's like you have officers that have been on a long time. It's kind of like being in the military. Yeah. When you're a sergeant first class or you're a squad leader, or platoon leader gets in your face. Yeah. You're afraid to do anything because it's like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like I said, we have to, that's one, like I said, police work is not perfect. We are imperfect people doing a job that's hard to do. Yeah. And we have to get away from a lot of the old stuff that, you know, used to happen on the police department. Now, if somebody tells yeah. me that there was a racist officer on the department, I would believe them. Unfortunately, how do I prove it? Yeah. You know, I'll tell people, if this was America 1980, you know, I'd be like, you know, yeah. His claims are probably legit, you yeah, know, but a lot of people make a lot of false allegations. Yeah. That's why I'm glad we have things like body cameras. Mm-hmm. And as officers, we have to take the profession serious and we have to realize our oath is to the American people. Absolutely. Not, no, nothing else. Yeah. We have yeah. to protect these people with our lives. And I have to make sure that their First Amendment rights are intact. 
just as much as my First Amendment rights are intact. I say I'm the only officer in the country currently that has written a book that's an active officer that has participated in the riots. Yeah. And I don't want to be in that category by myself because it is not only my story. I didn't go through the riots by myself. Other officers have. So I mm-hmm. want other officers to start speaking up yeah. and say what your experience was because it can't just be from my perspective. Yeah. There's other perspective of officers that weren't like mine and I want those to be known as well. I think you got a great resume though for the, yeah. for this book. I mean, you spent a lot of time in service or time in service where you were in combat and you were injured mm-hmm. coming out as a first responder police officer who's engaged in the riot. And I mean, that experience alone should have people come to you to at least listen a little bit, right? Sure. I would hope so. <laughs> do you think do you think that mentality that you have and that approach that you come to that the, these problems with is the more common mentality among police officers in the U.S. Absolutely, man. Yeah. I mean, we are we are literally a band of brothers, man. Yeah. And I don't come from the perspective of right and wrong. Now mm-hmm. I come from what's reasonable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because just because we don't see eye to eye doesn't mean neither either of us are wrong. Oh. Yeah, it's good to disagree on it's things. It's good to disagree. We can't yeah. if we all agreed, we'd be in like yeah. you know Stalin's Russia. You yeah, know? yeah. <laughs> that's the problem. There's no progression. But I think a lot of yeah. people and American citizens out there want to be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it I seems think they like do. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we have. Putin sympathizers in this country. Yeah, right man, it's now. crazy. Just, man. You have no clue what's going on. Zero clue. Zero clue. Yeah. Until they see it firsthand. Until they see it firsthand, they'll never, they'll never, they'll never understand, truly man. understand. Just like, just like you said with the IED. In movies, you know, it goes off. You're like, oh shit, that's Super that's cool. a big deal. What's you know, what happens next in the movie? In real life, that shit goes off and it's it's happening. You get the smells, you get the feeling, and Death becomes real at 40? that point. Yeah. yeah. And 20 years I, later, death becomes you're still real. dealing with it. You, yeah. you ask any individual out there, what's better, you know, a picture or being there and seeing it? Yeah, okay. you take a picture of a landscape or a mount, beautiful mountain view, and I show a friend that, he's not going to understand that. Nope. He's not going to understand how beautiful that, that mountain range was. Doesn't understand the feeling. And, and it goes the same way with service. Like, you know, when you, when you have the fear and there's no reset button, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's no starting over or pausing the game. Like, you take a left and a right, one of which you could be dead, you know? Huge difference. It is, man. You know, I just wish we could see America like that right now. You know, so many people, we are living in the greatest country in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we are the last beacon of freedom in the in the world, man. Yep. And the it, citizens are taking away from that. Yep. We're losing We're our rights now. Yep. We're fighting against it. And I'm like, y'all don't understand what's at stake here. So, I, I, man, I want to be optimistic and say we can pull back. I hope so. I think we can. That's why yeah. I'm speaking up. That's why I wrote the book. I say America's not perfect. You know, there have been issues with, you know, black people in this country and minorities, but I mean, everywhere else, everywhere else, every other (laughs) country known to man. We are not the only, America is not the exception for slavery. Yeah. And and, And there are still slaves in Africa and in the Middle East. As a matter of fact, they, you know, they were selling, selling it to the American people. On Amazon. You know, on (laughs) Amazon. Amazon. God damn it. Two for one. Yeah. (laughs) Amazon. Same day delivery. (laughs) (laughs) I like mine's cage free. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like oh, that. God. <laughs> yeah. We're gonna have to edit that. <laughs> he's could say it. He's allowed it. Uh, According yeah. to the protesters, I'm not black though. So. Yeah. 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 Well, that's all good. So listen, uh, you know, incredible having you on. You know, say a message. If there's one thing that you could tell the audience out there, you know, if it's about your book, your injury, your service, the riots, what what would it be? America's been worth every bit of pain I've experienced and the community I serve and everything that's gone on the last few years. It's all worth it, man, because America is built on, you know, freedom and protesting. I mean, I would do it all again. There's nothing I would change, man. Nothing I would change. And if anybody would like a copy of my book, you can go to IamPits.com. You can go there and order the book or you can give me an email at uh, IamPits at Yahoo.com and you can purchase from me direct and I'll sign it for you. And uh, also, I run a podcast, the Iron Pitch Podcast. Little mom and pop shop operation, trust me, it ain't nothing fancy or special, but, you know, I believe that it's important that officers start speaking out. And mm-hmm. a lot of officers are afraid to use their First Amendment rights to express their feelings about what's going on because they feel as though they're going to lose their jobs. And notice, I'm still here. Still here. <laughs> I don't know if it's a skin tone, why nobody <laughs> says something to me or not, but I don't know, but I'm going to keep doing what I do. 
So, you know, I'm going to hold you up on that. I would like a signed copy of your book because I'd like to check that out. It sounds gotcha. like a great read. I've got a copy for you. Oh, it's already, mm-hmm. it's already delivered. Same yeah. day delivery. You got oh, yeah. the Black History Month special, bro. <laughs> 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 it's March. <laughs> it is. It but is I sent it in yeah. February. Yes. yes. Yeah. Oh, perfect. No, that is great. I'm anxious to read that, uh, brother. It's been awesome having you on the show. Uh, you know, awesome story. And I really wish you success, you know, Appreciate defending the rest of this country, man. Yeah. I love, I love your mindset and I love, I love your approach to uh, making sure that you uphold the rights for everybody. It doesn't matter what your belief is or your skin tone. Shit doesn't matter. I, I really appreciate that about yeah. you. The Constitution um, don't care about your feelings, man. It doesn't. It doesn't. I let's, love that. Let's just all come together. You know, I mean, unified. Yes. <laughs> the bare necessities. Yeah. The simple bare necessities. Thanks for being on the show, brother. Yeah. Really appreciate me, you, man. man. And if you guys want to pick up Dexter's book, uh, there'll be a link in the description on our YouTube channel. Yes. So give it a uh, give it a look. Thanks, guys. Appreciate Till next time. The Medivac Podcast.